this is Julie Dolan. This is Liz Dolan. This is Sheila Dolan. This is Monica Dolan. This is Leanne Dolan. You are listening to the Satellite Sisters. The Satellite Sisters. The Satellite Sisters podcast. Not every conversation will change your life, but any conversation can. Any conversation can. Any conversation can. We are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, June 2nd, and I am so happy to be here. How about you, Sheila Dolan? I'm feeling really good, Liz. It's great to be with everybody. (laughs) I'm wearing my new scarf, Liz. Yeah, I see that. I I am no longer wearing the Dr. Seuss scarf that I wore all year, Julie. (laughs) Why? Because it's summertime now, (laughs) Sheila. That's right. I have a bright pink J. Crew, sort of a Jessica Alba scarf. You know, the, the celebrities are wearing these a lot these days. So I thought I'd pick myself up one, and I'll be wearing it. Every day. All right. Looking They support us on the show, and so we ask that you support them. And we have a fantastic show for you today. Oh, we sure do. Coming up a little bit later on, Julie, a big, big interview, right? I'm really excited about this, Liz. I know he's one of your favorite authors. He is. Pico Iyer is going to be joining us. I went to see him recently at the L.A. Times Festival of Books, but his latest book is The Open Road, The Global Journey of the 14th Dalai Lama. And here's the deal. Like, the Dalai Lama is one of the most famous people in the world. But do you know why? Or do you really know much about him? Or do you actually understand what's going on in Tibet? No, not me. <laughs> so, but Pico has known him for most of his life. Oh, I can't wait. So, I can't wait for yeah, that. So we're going to talk- book is a very personal account. So, you know, I mean, it's great to read and you really do get insight into him. Yeah, it's sort of the man, the monk, the myth, wouldn't you say, Julie? Wow, Liz, that's a blockbuster headline. I mean, that's not his subtitle, but if it were me, I might have gone with that, the man, the monk, the myth. Uh, (laughs) So we're we're talking to Pico Iyer later later on. Uh, Julie, you also have some... uh, interviewing mistakes you're going to share with us? Well, you know, it's that time of year. College graduates, they're out there. They're looking for jobs. And I, this is an annual review of the, like, stupid things that people are doing in job interviews. You're not going to (laughs) believe. We're all still doing them? Okay. We're still doing incredibly stupid things in interviews. Like, no, I don't have any experience with that, that that kind of thing? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Joel. All right. And... A brand new feature later on in the show. Lee and Dolan is going to be joining us here to present Ask the Satellite Sisters. Oh, yeah. Questions from Sister Spot, Liz. This is really exciting. Yeah. She, Leanne blogged the question, like, what do you really want to know about us? What are you dying to ask that you haven't had a chance to ask? So we've had weeks to collect some of your questions. Some of them we can't really address on the show, but most of them we can. And we are going to take a crack at it. So that is coming up uh, later on in the show when Leanne joins us. But first, all right, here we are. First week in June. You know what that means. Bathing suit time. Yes, bathing suit season. (laughs) Exactly. I I had to go on a little shopping adventure over the weekend uh, for what I think of as the dreaded three Bs. That would be blue jeans, bras, and bathing suits. Very tough to buy for <laughs> all a trifecta for you, Liz. Oh, my oh. God. I needed all three of them. And I shouldn't have put them all off for so long and saved it all up for one shopping trip. But uh, you'll be happy to know I failed in the first two. But the bathing suit thing, I had to take the plunge because it's June, right? You, you and gotta, you want to take the plunge. Yeah, and you want to take the plunge, precisely. So... Of course, I had seen the Miracle Suit on Oprah's Summer Favorite Things. Right. And I had seen those in the stores before, uh, but I had never really... Have you ever tried on a Miracle Suit? I haven't, Liz. I heard that they're very binding. They're very binding. They say that 10 pounds disappear in 10 seconds. That's their thing, (laughs) Sheila. Bring it on, Liz. (laughs) Precisely. Who doesn't need that? So I tried that on the Miracle Suit, and here's... 
my verdict, the true miracle would be if it could also do something about my thighs. Oh, because Liz. really, no matter how much you bind your torso, you're thighs are still spilling out of the bottom of your bathing suit, That's right? why they have those wraps, Liz. Summer scarf, Liz. <laughs> Pariah or whatever that is. So I'm, I'm going on this, like, beach weekend with some friends. So we're all in the bathing suit throws. And there's been some email exchanges on the, the bathing suit purchasing process. So I said, okay, I went out and I bought a miracle suit, but it's just not really working working enough of a miracle for me. And then, <laughs> and then my friend Catherine wrote back and she said, well, I'm just warning you. I'm wearing a suit from the Delta Burke collection. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Delta's our friend, Liz. Yeah. Come on. I know. But she said, it's four years ago. I bought it at Lord & Taylor and I'm still in my suit from the Delta Burke collection. And then I got an email from my friend Sarah saying, uh, well, you all know Sarah, Sarah Sweeney, our webmaster. Yes. She's in on this outing. And uh, she sent me the link to Land's End, which I know is Leon's favorite. Leon is passionate about those bathing suits, mm-hmm. Liz. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the tankini. Yeah. That, they discovered the tankini. Yes. They, <laughs> they discovered <laughs> They have a patent on it, and they're going to win the Nobel Prize. It's one of those sweeping Sheila statements I like to make. It was just out there, no... out there in the wild. Absolutely and they discovered... no. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, in the a, Amazon? There was a wild tankini on the loose, and they captured it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Sarah was making the point that the good, the advantage to the tankini is that it's the little skirty thing, the bottom half. And so if you have the thigh spillage issue that I had, the tankini might be the solution. So I just don't see you in a skirt, Liz. Well, okay, here's what I did, Julie. I went to Lansend.com. I'm looking, I'm looking. I'm thinking this could be the solution to my thigh situation. But I can't buy a bathing suit online. I just can't bring myself to do that. But then I realized that uh, Land's End has shops inside all of the Sears Yes, sirree, Liz. Yeah. Yes. And there is the Sears right in Santa Monica. Right in downtown Santa Monica. So I hightailed it over there. And I am now the owner of two tankinis. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you went with tankinis, Liz. I did. Yes, I did. Well, the top comes all the way down over the bottom. I mean, there's no bareness there. You're, it's actually a much more modest solution than a miracle suit where you're actually showing even more skin because so much is spilling out. All right, so what did you buy? What colors? What styles? Well, one is sort of a red, uh, no, a, a blue and black um, tropical pattern. Mm-hmm. Maybe like the original wild tankini they found <laughs> yes, yes. in the Amazon. Yeah. And the other one is just pa- plain black because they were out of, in my size, I wanted the coral. Oh, they, they were coral would that. be very pretty on you. Yeah, so I went for it, and then I alerted my beach weekend friends that I had scored a tankini. And I'll just end on this note. That that spurred a couple of um, other emails between us. Really, when you start to talk to your friends about bathing suits and wearing bathing suits and buying bathing suits, all of your insecurities come out. And so another friend emailed and said, oh, there's no way, man. I'm not, going, I'm not wearing a bathing suit at all. You should see the way I look after a long, cold winter in Chicago. And then Sarah responded to her. We're going to be on Long Island in the town of Amagansett. Sarah wrote to her, I've notified the town of Amagansett to have a forklift standing by to get you to the beach. No need to thank me, as I have already negotiated a pretty good rate for the crane that will get me out of the pool. <laughs> 
Okay, so there you have it. We've got tankinis, we've got the Delta Burke collection, we've got cranes, we've got forklift. You're Fantastic. ready to go and you've got a positive attitude, Liz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Usually people are go into a downward spiral when it comes to bathing suits. And can so. we just mention again how svelte you're looking, Liz? You're looking Thank fabulous. Thank you, so, Sheila. Well, it's, we're all proud of you. So go go for it. Go with your tankini <laughs> and um, and be wild. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll report back on, on how it all works. Well, Liz, while you were bathing suit shopping, uh, you know, I have been monitoring the situation at Starbucks. Now, you know I love Starbucks, sisters. You know that I used to bring Starbucks coffee back to Russia with me in my suitcase. Yes, and before did. that, I would take Starbucks coffee to Thailand. I just love the taste of it. And you know that Starbucks has had some rough times lately, too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that their profits are down, the stores are dirty, and they even <laughs> brought back their chief operating officer, Howard Schultz, came back. He mm-hmm. returned from retirement in January with the hopes of turning around Starbucks, particularly the American operation, because that was really going nowhere. You know, if you've been to Starbucks, you know what I'm talking right. about. And so this so, is your memo to Howard Schultz? No, I'm just, well, I just wanted to provide him with some some marketing information that he may not know, because I know he gave this worldwide pep talk to all Starbucks employees. Maybe you tried to go to get coffee that day, and all the Starbucks were shut down for four hours. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Because they were talking to Howard Schultz. And so they've implemented a couple of new things. Maybe you've seen that. They have a new coffee brand, and they're trying to lure people back to Starbucks by improved service. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what's happening at my outpost in Dallas. First of all, I have to say I have to walk to Starbucks now because I cannot afford to buy the cup of coffee and drive my car at the same time. So, but that's good so exercise. coffee or gasoline it's in your choice choosing. you yeah. make. It's yeah. about the same price for mm-hmm. a latte. Actually, the latte is now cheaper than a gallon of gasoline. So, but here's the thing. At my Starbucks, we had a very crabby barista, head barista. I mean, and I don't know why she was crabby. I mean, I think I probably would be crabby if I was making frappuccinos all day. Right, I mean but that. when we worked at Starbucks, Julie, you and I did a two-week stint opening the store <laughs> here in Santa Monica. We weren't crabby, were we? We were never crabby, we were... Sheila. We always had a smile on our faces. <laughs> but, you know, this woman is just crabby. Right. But here's the thing. After she had the Howard Schultz talk, I, I believe, all of a sudden... She was very friendly. I mean, she really? never knew my name, never knew the drink I wanted, and never put the dollop of foam on my latte. But then all of a sudden, she was transformed. She was this happy barista. She asked my name. She put the dollop of lot, you know, a latte, milk on my latte. I mean, she had a smile. It was really working, and I was really had great hopes for her and for Howard Schultz, and for all of my Starbucks. Uh-oh. But Where's here's this the thing. There's a crack. <laughs> crack. <laughs> yeah. It's now, it's now June. I, if this, Howard, if my barista is any indication, the whole thing is cracking because she just can't be happy. She, she can't is, keep it up. She, she can't, can't sustain yeah. the She cannot the charade. sustain it. Okay, the dollop of foam, it's gone now. Okay? Right, it's like when you're dating men. They just can't stay well-behaved for longer than two weeks. <laughs> you think it's that's like that it, third Jill? week, they just they stop opening the door. You know, they stop calling you. Yeah, this is what happens. So this is, you know, I, I know I thought it was Howard the third Schultz. month. With, with you, it's the third week. <laughs> the- the men I date, yes, Liz. <laughs> okay. That's, we're talking about Julie, though. Go ahead. But you have very intense relationships, Sheila. You know, mine is a more casual one, so it's taken a little longer for the cracks to show. But it's there now. She, I just, she cannot keep it up. The smile is gone. The it's phone fake, is not it's happening. Phony. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, they've had a 28% drop in profits at, um, at Starbucks, mm-hmm. and they're trying to blame it on the mortgage meltdown. But, Howard, here's my little message to you. I think you got to have another pep talk because, you know, there's those baristas, they have hard jobs. Right. And, and they yeah. need more support because they are not able to sustain it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's simple. If they brought back the low-fat turkey and cheese breakfast sandwich which I enjoyed so much, then their profits would go up. Well, you're the only one, Sheila, because those are never coming back. <laughs> those that are terrible. It used to stink up the whole place, Sheila. I hated people who ordered sandwiches and lunch. They're back to the core business. It was Core coffee. business and a smile on your face. All right. We are the Satellite Sisters. Stick with us. Plenty more show coming up. We have a visit from author Pico Iyer, and then Leanne's joining us for Ask the Satellite Sisters. Remember, if you ever want to email us, it's just sisters at SatelliteSisters.com or go to SatelliteSisters.com and post something on the blog. We're the Satellite Sisters. Satellite Sisters, we're back. I'm Liz here with Sheila and Julie. And Julie, it does seem like every year you're giving us advice about job interviews. And yet every year, America is somehow letting you down. I just don't understand how this happens, okay? Again, it's that time of year when people are hitting the pavement. They are looking for jobs. And it's also the time of year that CareerBuilder.com releases its annual survey of the worst interview mistakes. Mm -hmm. Now, let me be clear. I have plenty of my own worst interview mistakes. I did forget the interviewer's name at one interview, ordered a Bloody Mary at lunch. (laughs) And, Liz, I believe I brought you to a company visit. Oh, yes. It was your orientation, I think. Yes, I brought you to my – I brought my sister to a company orientation. Now, what was I thinking? I don't know none of that. I don't know. That is that is strange to think back on that. Your first job out of college, I went to your first day of work with you. <laughs> <laughs> what was I thinking? So that's apparently that's exactly what happens to people when they're looking for jobs. They are not thinking. About half the people that show up for interviews, according to CareerBuilders.com, are wearing inappropriate clothing, Sheila. Well, you, well, you're looking at me or uh, talking to me. I Yes, I wore a raincoat for one of my important um, interviews, and guess what? I got the job. He actually was... said, I like your raincoat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of guy I worked for, Yeah, a guy who would like a raincoat. Um, no, I do wear inappropriate clothes, but I, I don't show a lot of skin. It, I, I cover up, actually. I do a lot of covering up. But when you say shield... inappropriate, Julie, what do you mean? They're talking about halter tops. Yeah. They're showing up in jeans. They're showing up with skin. Never. You know, they're wearing offensive T-shirts. <laughs> People just, come on. Yeah, no, no, no. That's the kiss. I mean, that's a huge red flag. Right. Okay, but now, <laughs> now... You've got your ACDC t-shirt on. <laughs> to wear. Yeah, it's also, it, it seems to be a real problem. Again, about half, according to careerbuilders.com, are, sh- are bad-mouthing a former boss. Okay, it's just never a good idea. It's like bad-mouthing an old boyfriend. It doesn't set up the new relationship well. So, but that's not where it stops. This is a list, and they have some of the most egregious things that have happened in an interview. One interviewer reported that he was talking to a a candidate, and the candidate answered her cell phone. Okay, bad enough. In the middle of the interview. Oh, 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 no, but it gets worse. Now, the candidate was on the cell phone, 
and she asked the interviewer to leave the interviewer's office because she needed to have a private conversation. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, but Sheila, here's one that I thought I could see it happening. I wouldn't know the circumstances, but another interviewer reported that one job seeker at the end of the interview asked the the interviewer... For money. (laughs) For money? Almost as good. He asked for a ride home. Um, really? You know what? There, I might do something like that. You I see, mean, that I, could happen. If that... I heard that they were going my way. I... <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't it beg the question, how did you get here in the first place? Well, maybe Do we... you have your own transportation <laughs> in the event that we gave you this job? No, my sister dropped me off. Okay. Now, right. You know, a lot of the interviews that are conducted, maybe it's the follow-up interview or maybe it's initial screening interview. The candidate is at home or somewhere else. And here's just a little tip from careerbuilder.com <laughs> that when you are on the phone in an interview <laughs> Turn do off not Oprah. flush no do not flush the toilet oh, oh well people have heard that during an interview yes liz oh. yes okay now here's one final thing we have this thing called the internet and so i'm just <laughs> suggesting that if you are looking for a job if you're heading out there you might want to check out The Internet, because there are about 8 zillion articles, websites, you know, material out there on what to do and not to do in an interview. Hmm. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say check, you know, Google yourself to see if there's any disparaging, you know, articles. Well, oh, well, that's well, out that's there a good too, idea too. Yeah. yeah, but this is actually... maybe your own Facebook page <laughs> needs a little editing before you show up for no, the interview. No, my Facebook page is clean. Um, okay, Julie, good tips. All right, <laughs> you writing those down, Sheila? You I might have notes? to go look for a job in a little while, <laughs> um, which leads me to my little story here. I wanted to give you girls a little USA Today snapshot poll. You know, this is on the first page of the life section. What I like about it, it's a, it's the purple a, section. It's a, it's a pictograph, um, much like my first grade, first graders used to read. And speaking of reading, that's about all the reading I can do. This was a little poll that said this. It looked for how much time we spend on reading, and it's a poll that looks at compared to five years ago, the amount of time people who read at least one book a year have for book reading. So I was looking at that and thinking, well, first of all. This presupposes you read one or more books a year. <laughs> oh, Sheila, come on. You, All right. read, you don't read any books a year? Well, if I bound all the Us magazines together, <laughs> I think that would be as thick as Anna Karenina. I really do. All right. And then also, this, this assumes you that... Never, don't you go into bookstores? I, and... I look at books, <laughs> and I, I think about reading books, but my, my reading has dropped off, and I want to incorporate reading into my life, and I need you guys to help me. And Mm -hmm. it also, I mean, this graph also assumes that if you have free time, you're going to spend it on reading. Yes. So here's here's the basics. And that's the wrong (laughs) assumption with you. (laughs) Okay. um, You like reading at work better? Well, 45% of the people polled have less time for reading compared to five years ago. Um, 33% have the same. And this is the category I fall into. 22% 22% have more time for reading. Like, <laughs> it's been a transitional year for me, and I've actually, <laughs> I've, my time has increased. Yes. I could be reading more. And, I and know, yet. I know you, you, go, you gals are both avid readers. Liz, yeah. how, what is your reading life like? I mean, when, you, when do you read? I find myself in the evening now doing a lot more just laying on the living room couch reading than I, I used to just be watching 
the news all the time. But the news is pretty much the same every night now. Right. So I'm, you know, a couple of hours at night, probably three or four nights a week. Oh, I'll just gosh, read. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of reading. So you don't even, even turn on the TV? No. Okay, so that's that's good. That's, that's the key. <laughs> I, I personally find that reading while watching the TV is really bad for comprehension. Okay, how about you, Julie? Is this news to you, Sheila? <laughs> how about you? Well, I you know, know you, you read know a I lot. Like to, well, you're like on planes to, a lot. I, Sheila, I like to read on the weekends. I like to read, set oh. aside some time, Sunday afternoon, you know, when it's kind of quiet. I, I don't like to read in the evening because I fall right right asleep. So I like to read when I'm awake. So that's when I. <laughs> that is a really good tip. <laughs> Again, AIDS comprehension. <laughs> you know, uh, Julie, I think I should try that. Just because set aside, maybe don't don't. Sunday try. afternoon. I have I have a few hours on Sunday afternoon where I usually am watching uh, Top Chef reruns. <laughs> that I could just slot in time for reading. Mm-hmm. That's what I really need to do. I know Leon reads a lot and Monica does too. I was just, you know what? I'm glad I saw this poll. I know I have more time for reading according to this poll, and I need to incorporate reading into my life. Hey, you know what? In a, in a month or so on Satellite Sisters, we're going to have Leanne's Beach Bag Book Series. You can just bang into the mic again. <laughs> Go ahead. We're going to have Leanne's Beach Bag Book Series. So maybe she'll give you some books that you'll really enjoy to read during July and August. You should just work up to that. Okay, that sounds like a Start plan. Start with something light and fun. Good, good. I Right. Well, that's what I like in general anyway, the light and fun books. I mean, <laughs> the, the baby step from Us Weekly to a book. <laughs> Liz, maybe, maybe there's like a, a book, book about Us some Weekly. Pictures. <laughs> I do like pictures. Um, but okay, so that's what I'm going to do. I can't wait for that. All right. And we have more uh, books coming up too. Well, yeah, coming up next on Satellite Sisters, we have uh, Pico Iyer is joining us. It's funny, he has a new book. He writes them, and I'm sure he reads many. It's about the Dalai Lama and about Tibet. And, you know, there's been so much in the news lately about Tibet and the free Tibet movement and the riots they had in Tibet leading up to the Olympics in China that we thought it would be interesting to talk to someone who really kind of understood what was going on there, but also understood sort of Tibet in the larger sense of who is the Dalai Lama and who does he represent. So Pico Iyer, one of my favorite authors, is going to be joining us. Uh, when we come back. But here are a few details about how to win a fabulous VTech Satellite Sisters weekend getaways. So stay tuned. We want to know who's your satellite sister. You know why? Because we want to send you and your satellite sister on a trip for two to Seattle this summer to stay in a great hotel, eat great meals, and then spend the night with Jack Johnson. Really? Who wouldn't want to do that? That's right. We want to send you on a VTech Satellite Sisters getaway weekend. Right. Here's how you enter, Leanne. It's really simple. You go to SatelliteSisters.com. There on the homepage, you'll see a box that says, Enter here for the VTech Satellite Sisters Getaway Weekend. When you click through, all of the rules are there. The deadline is there. And you just have to email us your contact information and answer this question. Who is your satellite sister? Who do you pick up the phone and call when you just need to connect? You can enter every day, and the deadline is June 27th, 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time, to be exact. One entry per day, per email address. Go for it. We would love for you to win this fantastic prize, Sheila. The prize is incredible. First off, you and your satellite sisters will each receive a VTech cordless phone with the decked 6.0 technology. We know, sisters, it's a DS6121 that gives it its clarity and range. We love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, 
Oh, and all included two round trip tickets to Seattle, beautiful Friday night concert with Jack Johnson at the gorgeous Gorge Amphitheater, which is a beautiful outdoor venue. Then you have all weekend to spend in Seattle at the W Hotel. Those are your accommodations. That is going to be great. Really nice hotel and a Saturday night dinner for two very special at the Metropolitan Grill, which is right downtown there. All your transportation to and from the airport, to and from the concert, are all included. Jack Johnson weekend. Wow, that is good. I know. It's too bad we can't win, but we want you to win. And here's how you do that. Go to SatelliteSisters.com. Just click to enter. All of the instructions are there. Just send us an email. It's a random drawing, so it doesn't matter what you put in as your answer. But we'd love to see some interesting answers. You know, our goal here at Satellite Sisters is just to keep you and your Satellite Sister connected. Sponsored by VTech Phones. No purchase necessary. For complete rules and contest deadline, visit SatelliteSisters.com. We are the Satellite Sisters. I am Liz Dolan here with Sheila Dolan and Julie Dolan today. And you know, sisters, you know how there are certain writers that when you see their byline on something or when you see that they have a new book out, you just automatically pick it up and read it? Absolutely, Liz. Well, that's the way I feel about Pico Iyer. So a couple weeks ago when the L.A. Times Festival of Books was going on here, I saw that he was on a panel about travel writing. So I went and I heard him speak. And, of course, I loved it just because I just love his whole approach to the world. But then the next day when I arrived early to hear Julie Andrews, the person who had arrived earlier than me, like we were the first two people in that auditorium, Pico. There you were in the front <laughs> right. row to see Julie Andrews. Wasn't she fantastic? Amazing. I wish I had half her energy. <laughs> I know. She is really amazing and just a delightful person, and that is a fun book. But here you are on Satellite Sisters. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. The, uh, I, when I went over and introduced myself to you there at the Julie Andrews moment, you said you had actually heard our show driving around Hawaii one time, and I thought, that is really fate, that we're reading you when you're listening to us. <laughs> I, yeah, and I so vividly remember it. I, I, it was the same day I actually bumped into Barack Obama in a little burger joint in the North Shore of Hawaii, and then I was driving back to Honolulu, and there you guys were talking about uh, Jude Law and Jack Black and which of them you'd rather go on a date with. I oh, wow. <laughs> That is some picture. <laughs> that is a very what fu- a life, a very have, full Pico. day for you, Pico. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the title of your new book—it's a fascinating subject, which is why I wanted to make sure we got a chance to talk about it on Satellite Sisters. The title is "The Open Road: The Global Journey of the 14th Dalai Lama." Now, let's start with the basics, Pico, because the Dalai Lama is one of the most famous people in the world. But I want to know. What actually is a Dalai Lama? What is the job description? Because if he's the 14th, what did the previous 13 do? Like, what is his gig, really? (laughs) Basically, he's the spiritual and political leader uh, of the Tibetans. So it's like being the pope and the president in one. Um, He's also regarded by the Tibetan people as an incarnation of their god of compassion. So Tibetans are almost scared to talk to him because they regard him as as literally um, from from a a deity of of a different order. And he's a monk. Um, And, of course, part of the interest of the current Dalai Lama is that even though he's a monk and he's principally a spiritual figure, he's been 
been he's had to lead his people politically since he was 15 years old. And I think one thing that people don't know about this current Dalai Lama, they forget he was the ruler of his people from the time he was four years old, and he was actually dealing with Mao Zedong and Zhou Enlai and FDR and all the great leaders of the last century from the time he was a teenager. You know, when we were struggling through high school, he was already in charge of this huge nation. Yeah, that is amazing to me. So when he was five, how did he become the Dalai Lama? I mean, they just sort of came to him and decided he was the anointed one? Sort of. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mysterious system that sounds quite fairy tale like to us. Uh, when the previous Dalai Lama died, uh, a group of monks, the highest monks in the Tibetan capital of Lhasa, followed various signs and dreams and a reflection that they saw on, in a lake. And they scatter around Tibet and they're looking for a little two-year-old boy who will have been born just after the previous Dalai Lama uh, died. And they were led by these signs to a little village in remotest eastern Tibet. There are just 20 houses there. And there were a couple of children who sort of matched all the signs. And then when they find these little little boys, um, they subject them to a series of tests. For example, they'll carry about 20 objects, and 10 of the objects belonged to the previous Dalai Lama, and 10 didn't. And they'll put these objects in, in front on a table, and they'll ask the little kids um, to select which ones feel familiar to them. And the current Dalai Lama, when he was only two, picked all the objects that belonged to the previous Dalai Lama, disregarded the other objects, and then he started addressing these the search party of monks in their own language from their town, which is 2,000 miles away, which is like somebody in Kansas suddenly speaking Swedish uh, wow. to a group of Swedes. And one way or another, they quickly realized that he was um, mysteriously the incarnation uh, of the, the recently dead 13th Dalai Lama, and it took them a couple of years to extricate him from his little village, but finally they brought him to Lhasa and put him on the throne when he was four years old. And as soon as he arrived in Lhasa, at the age of four, he had to individually bless 70,000 people. So he was already kind of in the thick of, of things. A four-year-old so th- doing that? Yeah, Pico, this is not necessarily a job that you want then, right? <laughs> you, get, you get plucked from somewhere. Yes, absolutely, and uh, had to leave his family behind. He was only allowed to see his family one, once a month, I think, when he was uh, living in this cold, dark, thousand-roomed palace, the Patala Palace in Lhasa, and subjected to this very intensive 18-year course in logic and metaphysics. Every, I mean, he was basically trained for a doctoral degree from the time he was four, and he also had to be leader of his people, so quite a challenge. Yeah, is Julie, a, I know you, Go ahead. I know, is he a genius, do you think, Pico? Um, he's certainly an amazing philosopher, and I think people forget that because, as you know, when he travels, let's say, to this country, he has this wonderful gift for speaking in a very simple, clear, everyday way that even a little kid could understand. Uh, And so I think people forget that he's actually one of the most accomplished philosophers on the world and in the world. And also, um, I mean, he probably is a genius in terms of being able to lead so many lives and roles at once. Yeah. We're talking to Pico Iyer. His new book is about the, the Dalai Lama. It's called The Open Road. And what is fascinating about your take on this man, Pico, is that you have known him for a really long time. Tell us the story of how you met him. I mean, you've known him for decades. I have. I mean, I first met him when I was 17, which was 33 years ago. But in some ways, I met him even earlier because as soon as he fled Tibet and came into exile in India, which was in 1959, my father, who was a philosopher and was interested in many religions, we were living in, in England, but my father knew 
for the first time in history, this amazing figure and repository of centuries of wisdom had come out into the larger world. So my father sailed all the way to India and requested a meeting with the Dalai Lama just after the Dalai Lama had arrived uh, in exile. And the Dalai Lama said yes, and they had a long meeting. And his father, uh, my father, sorry, at the end of the conversation said, well, I've got this little three-year-old boy uh, back in Oxford, and he's already quite interested in your story and in Tibet. And the Dalai Lama actually found a photo of himself when he was five years old, already the king of his people, and sent it to me back in England. So from the time I was three years old, I had a picture he had sent me of himself when he was five years old. And, you know, I still remember, like any little boy, sometimes I felt lonely or sorry for myself, or I thought, you know, life is kind of hard for a little boy alone in a foreign country. Uh-huh. And then I just had to look at this picture of a, of a five-year-old boy who's already ruling six million people. And it's sort it's of... It's like a Spielberg movie. I mean, this is so... <laughs> Fun. <laughs> That's what's so great about the book, Sheila, is that, I mean, really, Pico, you've encountered this, like, one of the most famous people in the world over and over again throughout your whole life as you've traveled the world, some of it on your own, some of it with him. It's an amazing tale that you two have together. Yes, I mean, I've been so lucky, and one reason that I wrote this book was even, I remember, 20 years ago, the Dalai Lama would come to New York and hold a press conference. There'd be maybe three people there, two Tibetans and me. Um, And it was amazing how little the world knew about him then. And as you say, now he's become one of the most prominent and beloved figures on the planet. And so many people have been asking me, you know, what's he really like? You've had such a good chance to talk to talk to him all these years. Tell us um, who he is off screen. And so that's one reason I thought, well, I will share all my uh, experiences and adventures with him in this book. So when you're, when you're off screen, when it's just sort of the two of you in a room talking, or he often has other people around, I'm sure, I've always wondered, what do you actually call him? Like, is, is, is it, does he have a, a personal name? Or <laughs> do you, uh, you've known him for a long time, you're friends, you're close, but is he still like your holiness? What do you, Pico Iyer, call the Dalai Lama? Oh, great question. And I think most of us are meant to call him your holiness. And I sometimes do, but I often forget. And he's delighted when I forget. He doesn't mind what you call him. He calls me Pinocchio, which, <laughs> which I think is not, or maybe sometimes behind my back, which is not because I lie so much, but just because I'm gifted with a very large nose, I think, and a toy-like figure. Um, but, you know, he, the thing about him off-screen is, is, is he's exactly the same way on-screen and off-screen. Whether he's with 50,000 people or just with you alone in the room, he's entirely the same person. And I think one of the reasons he's so popular is he has this great gift for making just very human contact. As soon as he meets somebody, he'll... he'll tweak your nose or tug at your hair or, or make some joke to say, you know, I'm just the same person as you and let's have a conversation as friends. And I think, you know, he makes himself seem very unintimidating, which is a great feat for such an accomplished man. Right. That's hard because, Julie, you and I were talking about the rock star aspect to the Dalai Lama, right? Yeah, and I wonder, and you wrote about that, Pico, that now that he has this whole cadre of celebrities around him, it kind of works to, it does raise his global image, but at the same time, you wonder about well, maybe these rock you know these rock stars and celebrities maybe this is just some fad. Yes, and you know, I went and had a long series of conversations with him twelve years ago, just before those two big Hollywood movies brought his story. Um, to the world. One was Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt, and one was Scorsese's movie, Kundun. And I asked him about being a celebrity, and, and he said, I'm just a regular human being. And interestingly, you know, I asked Richard Gere at that time, too, about his connection, because he's been one of the most loyal and steadfast mm-hmm. friends of the Dalai Lama and the Tibetans for 25 or 30 years. And Richard Gere said, 
well, we movie stars, we're just suffering human beings like the rest of you. You know, we have problems too, and it's not as if... No, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> they have private <laughs> jets to suffering. Okay. Um, but what the Dalai Lama said was, um, was that he treats everybody exactly the same. And, you know, I, I found that to be the case. And one of the things he does, let's say he's walking into the White House tomorrow. As he's walking to meet President Bush, he'll suddenly turn around and, and say hello to a bodyguard. And he'll remember having met that bodyguard eight years before. He'll, he'll turn to a waiter at a big banquet and start talking to him. And, you know, he, he, I think he's naturally a very democratic figure. And it's interesting, when you go to visit his house in Dharamsala, India, and you see the people who are waiting to, to visit him, talk to him individually, often the person in front of me in line will be a backpacker um, who's just come back to Tibet, from Tibet. And the Dalai Lama knows that even a backpacker has something that he may be able to offer, because the Dalai Lama hasn't been able to visit Tibet for 50 years, the backpacker has, and so the backpacker has something um, to, to teach him. Or else there'll often be some scared-looking 20-year-old kid from Taiwan. And the Dalai Lama so loves meeting Chinese people that any you know, 20-year-old Taiwanese student who shows up there, he'll open his door to. So I think it is, ge it is genuine that he, he, you know, also it must be said that he's probably the one person on earth who doesn't know who Sharon Stone is. So when Sharon Stone <laughs> comes up and says hello to him in, the, in Beverly Hills, he doesn't know if she's a movie star or just you know, a secretary. That's refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it that way. <laughs> Let's talk about Tibet for a second because it's been much in the news here lately because of the upcoming Olympics in China. But I think the average American, when we think of Tibet, it has this sort of fairy tale, lost horizon quality to it. What What is your perspective on what's happening in Tibet, what its recent history, and what is going to happen next there? Well, it's 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 really sad because um, there are six million people there, and they're still. If they even carry a picture of the Dalai Lama, who's their spiritual leader, it's like us carrying a picture of the Pope or our local rabbi or whatever. If they're even found with a picture of him, they can be thrown into prison for six years, and they have no freedom of speech and no freedom of thought. And so, it's a very very difficult situation, and they're getting ever more frustrated and just don't know um, what to do with it. And you're absolutely right. The fact that we think of it as a fairy tale place is really hurt Tibet, because when Mao Zedong sent his troops in in 1949 to take over Tibet, Tibet appealed to the United Nations and said, please come to our rescue. And the whole world neglected them because more or less saying, well, you're just a lost horizon country. You're, you're in another world, so we don't have any cause to help you. So the Tibetans, always the first thing they tell you is we're very real and our problems are, are very real. And the hope is that for these next few months leading up to the Olympics, this is the one time when the whole world is looking at China and Tibet, and maybe the Chinese leadership will be moved to try to be more open and, and kind towards Tibetans and other people who are oppressed there. But so far, nothing good has happened. And uh, the Dalai Lama keeps stressing that the most important thing is to think about what happens after the Olympics. Because let's say in September, all of us will be thinking about the presidential election or the economy or um, the war in Iraq. And the last thing on our minds will be Tibet. And then I think the Tibetans may be oppressed even more. So I think the main thing is just to keep the attention and the spotlight on uh, the suffering people across China as much as possible. I mean, Pico, does the Dalai Lama ever lose? I mean, you write about how much patience he has for political change and that how, how much hope he has for almost impossible political change. I mean, he's seen other examples, South Africa, exactly. the end of the Cold War. I mean, is, does he remain hopeful for change in Tibet? Definitely. And he, he always says, if you ask him that question, in the short term, things don't look so good. In the long term, 
definitely there'll be a resolution. And just as you say, because he's been a leader for 67 years, he's seen so many things happen, constant surprises across the world and things breaking out in July of a year that you never would have seen coming in January of that year. He was actually in Berlin as the war was coming down. So he knows that nothing is fixed and that at some point a much more enlightened Chinese leadership will come in and, and everything will get a lot better. But, but in the meantime, he just says, well, we have to be ready for any circumstance. But I think one of the great things is he's, he's never lost his confidence, just as you say. And sometimes people will ask him, you've, you've lost your country, you've seen 1.2 million of your people killed, you've seen so, so much difficulty. How do you remain so optimistic? And I think it's because he takes a larger picture and he knows that everything is passing, even, even difficulty. Pico, I know you're not a Buddhist, are you? I'm not. I've learned a lot from many Buddhist friends, including the Dalai Lama, but I'm not. And I, one reason I wrote this book was kind of to say, I think of the Dalai Lama as a doctor, almost. And as with any doctor, um, you, it doesn't really matter what their religion is. They have certain practical things to offer you that may be useful or may not be useful. And this Dalai Lama has spent so much of his time in places like the U.S. and Europe talking to non-Buddhists. And he, when he comes here, he usually says, well, these are some things that I found to be useful, and this is what I have to share, and maybe they'll help you, but maybe they won't. And um, so I was interested in how his example may may help anyone, people who don't know anything about Buddhism and just confused like the rest of us. And how do you? So how do you think this up close contact you've had with this very holy spiritual person, much of your adult life, how has that changed your life? Well, I think uh, he's taught me tolerance and he's taught me subtlety. Um, he's taught, he always says, for example, please care passionately about Tibet, but don't, you don't need to say anything bad about the Chinese. Uh, and I extrapolate that to my own life. I, I think, well, I could, I could support the Democratic Party, but I wouldn't need to say anything bad about the Republicans or vice versa. Um, he's taught me that everything that happens in your life, you can choose how you want to respond to it. Because, for example, he... he at the minute he came into exile and he lost his country and he's only 24 years old, he turned to his younger brother and he said, now we are free, which is an amazing thing to say when you've just lost your country. And he right. said, instead of mourning what we've lost, let's see this as an opportunity um, to create something new. And I know in, in my own life, um, here in Southern California, I was sitting in the house where I'm sitting right now, and suddenly a forest fire came along and wiped out the house and wiped out everything in the house. So that the next day I had nothing in the world except a toothbrush. And I thought back to the Dalai Lama's example, and I thought, well, I could be upset about all I've lost, but maybe it'll make everyone's life a lot better, especially mine, if I think about you know, all the things it allows me to do that I couldn't do before. Uh, so I've, I think I've learned so much just on a simple level in terms of my relations with my sweetheart and my parents and my bosses and everyone, really. I love the word sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard to capture all of the... I mean, it must have been a hard book to write, though, wasn't it? Very hard. And I think, you know, any of it's like if one of you were to write about one of your sisters. Um, you know, well, none learned... of my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we are never going to attempt that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, if you've known somebody for 33 years and you've had so many experiences with them, the hard thing is to try to distill it in a way that's clear and interesting. So I spent five years on the book, and most of the five years were spent keeping things out and trying to exclude things so as to, to make it readable. But I, I read in your book that you really credit you, too, with helping you a lot to write this book. Now, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think, you know, I'm, I really am impressed by Bono and the whole group. And I think they're doing a lot of what the Dalai Lama is doing, which is they, they speak beautifully and, and staringly just through their music to people across the globe. But they're also, as they travel around the globe, trying to remind us that we're really in a global neighborhood and that um, somebody living in Africa, a little kid in the slums of uh, Indonesia, is these days as much a part of our lives as somebody across the street in, in Kansas or in Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, and I think one of the things I like about Bonner is he never takes himself too seriously, that he does have this very idealistic religious sense, but he also knows, well, you sh- he always says, you shouldn't listen to an Irish rock star. And, you know, I'm in no position to be preaching. But uh-huh. at the same time, he is trying to, you know, draw our attention to, to good, useful things we could do. All right. That's why you love Bono and we love you, Pico Iyer. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today on Satellite Sisters to talk about your book. It's entitled The Open Road, The Global Journey of the 14th Dalai Lama. Will you come back whenever you write whatever you're writing next? Gladly. It's so much fun to talk to you guys. And thank you for this wonderful show that I really enjoy listening to all the time. God, it's just such a pleasure to know you are out there. Thank you so much, <laughs> Pico Iyer. For more information on Pico's book, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com and we'll post, some, um, we'll post some info on the blog, Sister Spot. We're the Satellite Sisters. Stay with us. you always wanted to know about the Dalai Lama to everything you're dying to know about Satellite Sisters. Is that what we're doing here? We have been joined in the For, studio. <laughs> from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> yes. I'm so small when you say uh, that. Julie, uh, Sheila, and I are, have now been joined by our sister, Leanne Dolan, and you have a sheaf of questions with you, Leanne. Well, Liz, a couple weeks ago, I, pa- I posted on Sister Spot oh, a wacky idea called Ask the Satellite Sisters, uh-huh. because a bunch of the sister spotters had just spontaneously started asking us questions, and and they suggested this segment, why don't you do an Ask the Satellite Sisters? And because we have limited creative vision, we <laughs> seized on this idea. Well, it was a fantastic idea, Leah. Yes, it is. So you can still go to Sister Spot and ask the Satellite Sisters periodically over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be answering some of your random questions. And Snoopy on Cape Cod. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, not Snoopy on Cape Cod. That's Snoopy in New York. <laughs> Snoopy in New York. I think we just answered one. One of your questions, are there plans to start having guests on the show while it's a podcast? Is that even technologically feasible? It is technologically feasible now that we're in our new studio. We are booking some select guests, some of our favorites, coming back and working them into the podcast. You you just heard Pico Wire. A couple weeks ago, we had Koki Roberts. Dr. Michael Roizen is going to be on in a little bit. Uh, We're bringing back Dr. Forney. Dr. P.M. Forney has a brand new book. Yes, I know. So uh, people have been screaming for Dr. P.M. Forney, if that's possible, to to do that in a civil way. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, thank you, Snoopy in New York. We are planning on having... Some some guests. All right, so let's just Check. go right yes. to yes. our other Snoopy in Cape Cod. Okay. Sure, go ahead, Lynn. Here we go. These are random questions. I am just asking the Satellite Sisters. Uh-huh. All right, Julie, just get it out of the way. Well, what was your life like in Russia, and what does your husband do? Okay. My life in Russia was, it was the tale of two cities. It was concerts, museum, travel, embassy parties, good friends, 
And it was also struggling to learn Russian, being pushed around on the metro, ripped off at the market, and screamed at by my neighbors. (laughs) The best of times, the worst of times. Yes, it was. It is a very intense place to live. Intensely wonderful, intensely not wonderful. And as to what my husband does, I've explained this. He's an international businessman. So what I see him do is he types on his computer, he talks on his cell phone, and he gets on his plane, he gets on planes to fly to international cities. Sometimes I get to accompany him, and he does, he goes to international business meetings, and then he comes home and he repeats the whole process. Is that clear? <laughs> Thank you very it's much. It's very clear when you put it that way. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, Sheila, Christy wants to know. Sure, go ahead. Uh, is it entertaining Sheila, as in Sheila enjoys being entertained, or entertaining Sheila? Oh, that's Sheila. She's so entertaining. It is both, Leanne. Ooh. It is both. I love to be entertained, and I consider myself an entertainer. In fact, someone the other day said, well, what are you? Are you a writer? Are you a host? What do you do? I said, you know what? I'm an entertainer. You <laughs> did? <laughs> like Gypsy Rose Lee. <laughs> so I go with it. But great question. All right. Because it was about you. Entertaining <laughs> Sheila. All right. Sunshine Tallahassee said, did Liz ever get to cash in on her birthday gift of a trip to the Supreme Court? You know, Sunshine, I did not. And it is not Lisa McElroy's fault. She followed up. You remember last September on my birthday, Lisa McElroy, our court watcher, called in and said she had arranged for me to go with her to a session of the Supreme Court. Just the year got away from me. Sunshine, yeah. I don't know what happened. And now here we are. June, the court session ends. But I, I still have the chit. I think Lisa McElroy is still good for it. And I think this fall, I'm going to be first in line. The- She's totally good for it, Liz, because, you know, she called me like, is Liz mad at me? Is that why she hasn't, is that why she hasn't cashed in? It was just, I wasn't passing through D.C. on my way anywhere else. But, you know, isn't this an annual thing, the Supreme Court? Yes. Me, me, it meets every year. So it's, uh, it's, it's the still same, on my It's list. the same justices. Sa- same crowd, same nine people. I'm there. Uh, they start again in October. I'll be in line. All right, Denise from Ontario. Julie has a question for you. And Denise, this is a good one. In a classic episode, you were pondering how to change into your black tie ensemble for a big event at the UN via DC on the way back to Russia. As only Julie could have those travel plans. Uh, I'd love to hear how you managed the costume change and more about why you were traveling in that particular time. Well, I, the costume change, I really I solicited advice from our listeners. I didn't know where to change my clothes, in the bathroom on the plane, you know, in the oh, bathroom yeah, at the that. UN, in the bathroom at the airport. I went for door number two, bathroom at the airport. And I put a little piece of paper down, made the quick change, jumped in the cab, met Liz at the UN, yeah. showed up at the UN with the world's largest suitcase. I don't believe ever in the history of the United <laughs> Nations there has been a bag that large that has had to go through the security screen at the United Nations. At an event for like a cocktail reception. And Julie is moving like a country in exile in yes. her suitcase. I showed up. They went through that whole suitcase, saw my Starbucks coffee, going back to Russia with me. And then I did coat, did coat check, Leon. Check the giant suitcase. Oh, Julie. Do you remember why you were traveling at the time? No. I'm always traveling, Leon. That's the answer to that part, the second part of the question. I'm just constantly on the move. If I have an opportunity to travel, I'm going to take it. 
All right, Sheil, got a question All for right, you. All right, Leanne. That you have mentioned that your ex-husband is, uh, you met him in acting class. And this question was, is he a celebrity? Is your oh, ex-husband a celebrity? Oh, I so wish. I would not be in the cozy cottage if he was. I just You might wish. still be married? Yes. He, he's not famous. Uh, he never became an actor. Um, he was really just going there to meet women. So, and he met me. And that is the truth to that story. Um, but, um, no, he was not a famous actor. And is there anything else they need to know? No. No. <laughs> that's, that's it. All right. Uh, and I have a one madcap question here that I just want to throw out. This is my own question. I'm just wondering where the Satellite Sisters stand on the maxi dress, which is coming back this season. Are we too old for the maxi dress? This is Liz. Yes. Though I remember it the first time around, I'm not sure you were born yet, Leanne. Julie, you had a fabulous maxi dress that you Fabulous maxi dress and and a maxi coat. And red maxi coat. Yes. Oh, totally maxi. Yeah, that was maxi. I enjoyed the maxi period. I might have to do it again, Leanne. Oh, Julie, you think we're not too old for the maxi dress? No, I don't think we're ever too old. It's it's coverage. It's good for us. (laughs) Sheila? Southern California, I'm wearing it. You're going to see me in a maxi dress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so comfortable. Have you ever, I mean, have you been, have you tried one on lately? No, I haven't tried one on. Oh, they're fantastic. All right. You missed the trend the first time, Leanne. I know. I was like We were teenagers. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Weren't there any questions for you? There must have been. Well, I'm going to answer them on the next show. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess I could answer, uh, I I got one about, um, you know, from Hot Toddy about my brush with fame when I was hit by um, a cast member of American Idol. (laughs) And Hot Toddy wanted to know why I didn't finish the story, which was basically, who was it? Uh And here's why, Hot Toddy. I could not finish that story because um, I didn't want to reveal her name. She was from the first season. She's not a winner. Um, uh, But she didn't have any insurance. Uh-huh. So I didn't want to get her in trouble. Oh, that yeah. is such a good with Leanne. Officer Very Rubbish. Nice. You know, I did not want Officer Rubbish to get on her case. And so she did not have any insurance. And the first words out of her mouth were, my mom told me I should get insurance. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I said, yes. She was right. American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> Season one, you should get insurance. But Did I... you get her AAA while you were there? Because you got me AAA when I, I moved here, Leanne. I just said, please, I please get insurance. So this doesn't happen again to you. And I, I could tell that she was not going to be able to afford the cost of fixing the bumper, which was quite large. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know... A, one little dent in your bumper, you have to replace the whole bumper. Mm-hmm. So I never I never billed her for it or anything like that. You know, she's a struggling season one, you know. That's your contribution to the arts. Way Leanne. down. Contribution in- to the <laughs> arts. <laughs> so there you go, Hot Toddy. I was trying to preserve her anonymity and uh, to save her from being pursued by the law <laughs> or entertainment tonight. So that is the reason why I did not mention her name. That was my brush with fame. <laughs> All right. Ask the Satellite Sisters. That was fun. You can go to the blog and ask us more questions. As I mentioned, we'll be randomly doing some of these segments over the next couple weeks since it's a lot of fun to do. We know you have some questions, and we enjoy answering that. Hey, fun show today. Great to hear what Pico Iyer had to yeah. say about the Dalai Lama. I learned a ton I know. in 20 minutes. Thank yeah. you. Like, the book is great, Leanne, is and it? I know you read, so yeah. you should pick it up. Very funny. <laughs> Here you go, Leanne. I'm done with my copy. You can have it. Thank you, Liz. And I'll take it after you read it. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to be busy dating. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. No time for reading. <laughs>
All right. We want to remind you again, tell us who you would take to see Jack Johnson and our VTech Satellite Sisters Weekend Getaway Contest. Go to weekendgetaway at satellitesisters.com. Email us your contact information, your name, your zip, your phone number, and who would you take. For more information, go to satellitesisters.com. All right, you guys, have a great day. You too, too. Leanne. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.